This is Evidence-Based GI, and I'm Phil Schoenfeld, Editor-in-Chief. Today, we'll be discussing the management of eosinophila esophagitis, specifically focusing on the efficacy of food elimination diets with Jennifer Cole, Assistant Professor of Medicine at the David Geffen School of Medicine at UCLA, and we'll be discussing her summary which is published in the August 2023 issue of Evidence-Based GI, which summarized a recent study by Cleaver et al., which is entitled One Food Versus Six Food Elimination Diet Therapy for the Treatment of Eosinophilic Esophagitis, a multi-center randomized open-label trial. And this was published in Lancet Gastroenterology and Hepatology in May 2023. So welcome back, Dr. Kolb. And as usual, we start by discussing, you know, why is this an important topic for our listeners and what's unique about the study that you reviewed in our August issue of Evidence-Based GI? Great. Hello, Dr. Schoenfeld. Thank you so much for having me to discuss this article. The reason this is important is because we all see and treat EOE. EOE, eosinophilic esophagitis, is a chronic inflammatory fibrostenotic condition. It's driven by a food antigen-triggered T-helper-2 type allergic immune response. And the standard management really focuses on upfront use of an oral PPI twice daily, followed by alternative options such as swallowed topical oral corticosteroids or newer treatment with dupilumab, which is an interleukin-4 receptor alpha antagonist that is administered subcutaneously. But there's an alternative approach, which is also widely used, which is dietary therapy. And this really focuses on eliminating specific food exposures. And so by eliminating those exposures, you're thereby preventing that initiation of the inflammatory cascade. And traditionally, this empiric food elimination therapy took a top-down approach. So it started with significant restriction, multiple food groups, four or six, and then it was followed by a gradual reintroduction. Um, But there's been a growing interest in sort of a step-up approach, so a less restrictive upfront therapy where you're really starting with the most allergenic food groups, such as animal milk, one or two upfront, and you're focusing on the ones that most patients with EOE tend to have since trigger foods are usually just from one or two of these groups. And so we're here now to discuss the first RCT that really compared different elimination diets and it compared a one food versus six food elimination diet in adults who have eosinophilic esophagitis. And I think that's why this is such an important study for us to discuss Now, in the actual study, they looked at approximately 129 patients that were 54% male and 37 years of age and evenly randomized. And if your threshold was to say you got below 15 eosinophils per high-powered field, that was 34% in the animal milk restriction group versus 40% in the six food elimination field. And statistically, that was similar with a p-value of 0.58. I would note that if you wanted to go down to complete remission, meaning 
essentially zero to one eosinophils per high powered field. That was significantly better with the six food elimination group. And even if you wanted to get down below six eosinophils per high powered field, that was almost statistically significant in favor of the six food elimination group. There weren't any significant differences for endoscopic reference score or for uh, changes in quality of life between the two groups, but the improvements there were relatively small in both groups. So that's kind of the bottom line from the study design. Dr. Cole, what do you think are the true key points about the study design and its limitations and its results? That was a great summary. I think just to really look at a few of the key points, I would say that, you know, overall histologic remission rates were similar, right? The, the much simpler one food diet compared to the six food really did as well at achieving histologic remission. Rates were 34 to 40% overall of note, you know, that is a little bit lower than alternative agents like the dupilumab trial, which showed higher histologic remission rates up to 60%, but they were similar between the two food elimination diets. And so this really suggests that it probably is preferable to start with a less aggressive and sort of more user patient friendly approach. A few limitations. So the study, of course, this was done in sort of adult patients, so remains to be seen what's the best approach for pediatric patients with EOE. The sample size was 130 patients. So, you know, this is still a small study, although it is definitely a welcome study just by being the first sort of comparative trial. There's been tons of single arm trials prior to this, but this was a, you know, a well done randomized control trial. They did use a eosinophilic esophagitis quality of life patient reported outcome, but it would be helpful to know sort of what the patients were experiencing in terms of dysphagia. And so that's something that wasn't included in this study. And so that's sort of additional outcomes that may be useful in the future to look at. The only other uh, thing I'll mention is that um, most of these patients, you know, up front to get into the study, these patients were all sort of already on a PPI. And so it's still not exactly clear where elimination diet goes in the algorithm, even if now we know sort of to be a little bit less aggressive with the elimination diet, and still you have a good chance at histologic remission. I mean, I think those are really important points for our listeners to consider. How do you apply this data in your own practice? What do you talk about with the patient when you make the diagnosis of EOE and you're reviewing treatment options? You know, we all start with the PPI, and then where you go from there really should be shared decision-making with the patient. And it really has to do with the, the practice setting, the patient's sort of age, whether they're, you know, someone young who's in school and can't come for frequent endoscopies, whether they have the ability to do, you know, a strict elimination diet. And so it's really a shared decision-making to determine dietary therapy versus swallowed corticosteroids. And then also within dietary therapy, you know, does do they really want to be aggressive up front and eliminate everything? Or are they okay to sort of have this long time frame where they know they're going to have to continue to reintroduce things and get repeat endoscopies? And so I, I think it's not a one-size-fits-all, but this study certainly gives us a little bit more reassurance that a sort of step up approach can be as useful. I'll just mention maybe one practical point for the listeners because a lot of 
our first diagnoses of EOEs are on-call fellows. It's, you know, it's August. And so there's a lot of food impactions. So just a reminder, if there is suspicion based on the demographic and the, the reason for the food impaction at the time, that we should really take those biopsies up front to make the diagnosis of EOE at the time of that initial scope. Sure. That's a really important point for our listeners that reinforces what's in a, a new ACG paper about uh, best practices in the management of EOE. And one of their recommendations is that when you identify and treat a food impaction, that if at all possible, in, in the context of doing that endoscopy, that you should upfront get your biopsies during that endoscopy when you're treating the food impaction. And our listeners should remember, you want to get at least six biopsies from two different levels of the esophagus, distal and mid-esophagus at least. And then if you initiate therapy, that position paper also emphasizes that you want to rescope the patient within about three months and get repeat biopsies to assess histologic remission because you can't necessarily rely just on the patient's symptoms because dysphagia symptoms don't always correlate with histologic remission, and you're going to use that histologic data to help guide you about making further treatment recommendations. Jen, do you have any thoughts about using oral corticosteroids? Well, I should say swallowing the contents of inhaled corticosteroids, meaning Omicord or Flovin inhalers that are used for asthma, or using dupalumab in general? Yeah, I don't. I mean, I, I haven't had as much experience with that. So I'm not sure at this point that I can really tell you sort of what my go-to is. But I'm curious if you've had any experience of what you would suggest. I think in my own practice, I absolutely agree. Oral PPI, BID is first-line therapy. And then if that hasn't been an adequate treatment, then doing shared decision-making with the patient is great about whether or not they want to swallow the contents of, you know, a flow vent or pulmocort inhaler and versus diet therapy versus using dupalumab, which is 300 milligrams sub-Q weekly as a treatment. I do think it's important for our listeners to know that, again, the best practices in the ACG paper emphasizes that this is a chronic condition. Once you've achieved histologic remission and symptomatic improvement, you need to continue treatment long-term. And I think that I'll just add for our listeners that if you are going to have patients swallow the contents of Flovent or Pomocord inhalers, that there are some great online tools to help you train your patients about how they can open up the inhaler and mix up the, say, budesonide little tiny capsules with some sugar substitute and mix it up into a slurry that can be swallowed. So that can actually be found at the University of North Carolina Center for Esophageal Diseases Center website, where they provide some handouts that can be downloaded for patients too about how to to do that process. And again, I think it's worth our listeners remembering, we did a review in the February issue of Evidence-Based GI that reviewed the RCT of using dupalumab 
for the treatment of eosinophilic esophagitis. And that's really the best study that clearly demonstrates a treatment not only achieves histologic remission, but also improves dysphagia symptoms and even can help remodel the esophagus. Any other comments, Jen? I think this is hopefully and probably the first of additional studies that are going to compare these uh, more nuanced within group therapies. So comparing one to six, and I think as the sort of therapies available for EOE grow, hopefully we'll get more comparative data as well. Terrific. Thanks again for joining us today. For our listeners, please remember to subscribe to Evidence-Based GI on your favorite podcast platform. And you can also follow us on Twitter at ACG underscore EBGI, where we host tutorials every Wednesday. And look for the blast email from the ACG on August 16th with our new issue that includes Dr. Kolb's much more detailed summary about this study. Mm-hmm.